Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Episode 314, A Matter of He sh- Said, She Said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we ignore all women. So, oh. anyway, uh, <laughs> that's how I feel about this episode. I don't understand why this, any of this is okay. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> was that a good intro? <laughs> yeah, hi. Welcome to the episode. Great introduction. <laughs> Love that. Just rolling down the hill. Uh, yeah, this is a bonkers episode for sure. I found it kind of boring. Um, oh, it's disagree. I loved it up till the point where a woman comes on, accuses Riker of rape, and then he says, "How can you think I would rape somebody or try to, and or attempted rape?" I'm sorry. And then, and then no one ever talks about it. It's like, oh, but he didn't do the killing. Anyway, don't worry about the rape allegation. Bye. <laughs> I mean, sure. I relate to Riker and and because I know him and I don't think that's within the character that's already been established in my mind. But this is just saying women lie about rape for no reason. Why did why was her character written this way? I didn't know I was so upset until I started talking. Uh, me neither. I, wow. Wow. Hi. It was okay. a surprise to everyone. The <laughs> hill is longer and deeper than I thought. We're just still rolling down it. I understand uh, this perspective. I was also disturbed by some of the ways this rolled out. I think I know Melinda Snodgrass did not write this. <laughs> she couldn't. <laughs> she well, wouldn't let this happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what they're trying to show, and I'm not defending anything here, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to get their perspective on it and trying to figure out what the writers are thinking of is like, there's different uh, issues with eyewitness testimony in general, right? And so mm-hmm. they explore a couple of different perspectives, and yeah, we should definitely talk about what else is uh, testified about in this episode besides just the murder. That's right. It's a matter of perspective. <laughs> Smooth. Smooth. When Riker is charged with the murder of a prominent scientist, each side uses the holodeck to show their side of the story. Okay. And then another thing I need to rant about. Yeah. As you were just saying, Jake, memory is flawed. Mm-hmm. Testimony based on memory is flawed. Mm-hmm. A fake simulation based on someone's yeah. biased reaccounting of an event mm-hmm. just solidifies in the jury's mind that one side of the story is is truth because they're remembering it now in their own memory in a biased memory. It just makes no, no sense. I mean, right. I do think it's cool that they reenacted their memories, but they are biased and they are nonsense and everyone's going to have a completely different perspective that puts themselves in a good light, which is cool and interesting. And I think more tor- <laughs> stories should be told this way, but yeah. not as accepted evidence in a trial. Right. Well, there's so some of this is obviously story mechanics of like, how do we keep showing up these scenes without doing flashbacks? Because we don't do flashbacks in Star Trek. So the holodeck is like a convenient way to have fun with this a little bit. Mm -hmm. So let's actually let's zoom out for a second and like get into the story here. So we start as we normally would in most episodes in art class. Right. And Picard (laughs) is uh, is drawing a uh, painting, as a matter of fact. And Data comes in and um, observes all of the different styles of the students in class. And so when I first saw 
saw what Picard was doing, I was very You mean what concerned. he was wearing in his <laughs> traditional Japanese Zen monk? It's called a Samu. It's so good. I love he it, and great. I want one in every I got color. the hats for it. Okay. Anyway, I appreciate you both noticing that because I was so focused on what he was drawing and the perspective of it that yeah. I kind of forgot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, that's great, too. But uh, it was my like fears double lapel. Were... <laughs> Anyway. My fears were calmed when Data started commenting that everybody's has a certain very distinct and very specific style merging of two different styles, right? And then he gets to Picard. I wanted to ask real quick before going on, have either of you, because I had art classes in college, have either of you ever been in this environment where you're getting or giving a critique on art? Have I posed nude in a painting class? No, yeah. Just kidding. I, I have painted a new model in college. Right. I don't think I've ever given criticism on art like this, no. It just hit like so like hard how true to life this is. You're sitting there working on this piece and people will just come by over your shoulder and just comment about it as if you can't hear what they're saying. And this is right? exactly what like data does like a, like an art teacher would. But What kind of assholes were in your art class? No, it, it's like in the world that happens all the time. It's like just an accepted practice. Right? Yeah. Dislike. Especially because he's just summarizing what they are. He's like, ah, right. oh, this student is using this expression and okay. this expression. The lieutenant did effectively fuse the incongruity of surrealists with the irrationality of Dadaism because it looks like she turned this nude model's body into a violin. But from mm. our angle, it was really hard to see. Pretty mm -hmm. cool art. Best or was part she of the always a violin? Oh. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. Uh. <laughs> But anyway, Picard's the best artist, right? Because he's the best at everything, the captain of the ship. Well, that's what I love about this is like not only does Data like critique it, but he slams it in the most polite way possible. Yeah. <laughs> you inappropriately fused Picasso and Leger. Furthermore, the unsettling overtones of proto-Vulcanism. Thank you, Data. That's good enough. But this is interesting, too, because it is a matter of perspective. How many times have we seen Picard politely give critiques to Data about his acting, about his violin playing, about any sort of artistic endeavor? Data is just reciprocating what sort of feedback he receives. Really good point. It is a matter of perspective. Also, was Data playing a violin or was he playing a woman shaped like a violin? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, and here Becca has managed to capture surrealism and Dadaism and just stuck them together. I feel like we nailed this whole episode in the first 10 minutes of the podcast, so yeah. we should just call it a day. Oh, just about the scene that has almost nothing to do with the plot. <laughs> well, it says the title of the episode, so I think that's... There you go. We, we do it. need that. But we, uh, we get a message that... Um... Krieger Waves! Krieger Waves! Which, isn't that the character from Archer that's the scientist? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Do you think that's why they named him Krieger? That's a matter of perspective. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Picard goes up onto the bridge, welcomes uh, Jordy back from where he's apparently been on a space station nearby, and uh, asks where Riker is. And he says, well, Riker's still over there. And uh, he, you know, we can tell there's something awkward going on. And we ask Riker to come back. Riker says, yeah, sure, I'm on my way. No, and he then says, I'm ready to go. Now. now yeah that's and true. I, i'm ready to go now i made the assumption that the doctor he'd been having a conversation with was a hot woman i was wrong <laughs> but not far off there was a hot woman involved uh, yeah <laughs> 
um, as he's beaming over, the space station explodes. <gasps> we get the classic like last minute beam out save. Mm-hmm. Don't look back at the explosion behind you, even mm-hmm. if you teleported away. Even if you don't know about it, because when Riker gets back, he's confused as to why O'Brien says, you know, just in time. And he says, what? Doesn't why? he know about it? Maybe. And, ooh. He ooh, knew. Intrigue. <laughs> but O'Brien has to give, like, he has to give him this information, but he gives it very deadpan. He's <laughs> like, well, it blew up. It blew up. <laughs> <laughs> and then Riker just stares off into the distance and we dun, go into dun, the title dun. screen. <laughs> yeah. You know what? He was very stiff in this scene because I thought the episode was going to be about him not being the real Riker. Because he seems very uh, wooden compared to his usual performance. You know, you should hold on to that thought of, you know, <laughs> maybe it'll come back later. Okay. Maybe. Well, maybe. I don't know. I didn't watch the next episode. I mean, it was playing and my eyes were looking there, um, but I wasn't there. <laughs> Jake, is your cup green? It's blue, which is why it looks like space. <gasps> oh, you have a blue There's screen. a naked woman on it. <laughs> it's a violin. <laughs> Sorry, you've got a violin on there. This is great for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's your fault for not being a patron. Hey, subscribe to our Patreon to get exclusive access to our behind the scenes video recordings. You can get these references. Mm. Um, so we're back into act 1 and we can't really tell what exactly happened. There there was there was no power uh, there was like a power drain right before the explosion. Um, Riker got back just in time. Riker doesn't remember what happened and there's a chief inspector um, who's like coming on board from which planet? The planet that they're from? Tanyagan Security Force, Chief right. Investigator Crag. So Crag, yeah, the Tanyaguns are the same. Isn't Crag the, the name of the mountain you have to climb in that um, Nickelodeon? The Agro like, Crag. The, the Agro Crag. Yeah. yeah. So uh, back in the '90s, there was a children's um, Ninja Warrior, children's uh, Ninja Warrior, God, and. God. <laughs> I've never heard it described that, but yeah, it was Children's Ninja Global Warrior. Guts. <laughs> that's what it yeah. was. And at the end, you have to climb an agro crag. Anyway, that's who this investigator is. The 90s was all about crag fever, really. <laughs> crag fever. Without hitting crag, a crag. Green, crags. <laughs> um, but anyway, he is coming on board, and Picard even says to Riker, he's like, you better tell me everything that's happened before I talk to this guy. And then we end that scene, and I was like, mm-hmm. Riker, why are you being so mysterious? We know you have a lot of tension here, but you got to start talking, right? Because women just be throwing themselves at Riker. That's why. He feels not even know about the women guilty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're, like his actions in previous away missions have, like, he just kind of, he does what he feels, you know? And it's okay most of the time. This time, maybe not. We've, he's never crossed a line of monogamy. Right of monogamy for the for the other part party. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. got it. Like yeah, yeah. yeah got it. Their monogamic, their monogamous relationship. He I just guess. feels the vibes, you know. Right. <laughs> that was our previous understanding of Riker. Yeah. So the inspector comes on board and immediately wants to take Riker into custody, and Picard's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We don't just do that here." And so there's a bit of an extradition process where Picard negotiates with this guy, who's very upset and really. It sounds like it. 
regards Riker as guilty until proven innocent, right? It well, sounds luckily, like that because he explicitly said that that was the way that their did he say judicial that system yes. works. Oh, I missed yes. that. Well, it's funny. Uh-huh. Be, it's this convenient like deus ex machina that they have. Well, well our legal system works in the opposite way. It's oh, a, he does Funny that. how that yeah. works. I'm sorry. Continue. I did continue. Oh, sorry. Just my argument was, um, sir, it is opposite day, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's when we were like, hold on, hold on. Our holodeck is really great at court trials where we just base things off bias reconstructions of memories because we all know memory is infallible. I do want to talk about that, though. But first, there was a a moment where uh, this whole thing happens and then Picard is walking off and uh, Riker is like, oh, can I talk to you privately? And Picard's like, no. (laughs) And then just leaves. You missed your chance. Like Picard said to you just like 10 minutes ago, he's like, tell me everything before I talk to this guy. And you mm. chose to just give a steely look and look off. Well, that's your choice. <laughs> yep. Um, but so, Becca, I totally had the same thought and, uh, that you did about the use of the holodeck, especially like in a trial. But then I was, you know, coming at it from the perspective of the writer's room. You know, let's say we wanted to do this whodunit mystery. Someone is murdered. We want like a, a red herring, like these clues. We want the detective aha moment. The best way, I think, to do that would be a scenario where it was either investigating, like, the far past or, like, that the, the location doesn't exist anymore. So in this case, this, the whole station blew up. There's no way to go in and do, like, a physical investigation. Unless you get Dixon in here. Right. Yeah. Dixon. Right. <laughs> so this was a way of doing, pulling that side of Picard and the other characters out without having to use the holodeck in that way. Mm-hmm. It's true. It is a really cool concept and I like it. It's just memory cannot be trusted. And then I think it's like further solidifying people's fallible memory to put it in a physical form in this way. And then they will share the flawed memory. Yeah. I'm repeating myself, but you get it. Well, we get Data's exposition, too, of at the beginning of this whole process where he explains what the holodeck is going to recreate up to, like, what was it, like, 92% accuracy or whatever, yeah. which alone is like, okay, none of this is evidence. Yeah. This is all just, like, a, a an artist's rendering of what we've heard. There it is. And, uh, yeah, right? And that's ah. really what it is. So, like... We even get further down the rabbit hole when we go through her- uh, hearsay because yep. we get the assistant's perspective of what the doctor told her of his interaction with Riker. Right. And so, like. I mean, at least Picard objected. Right. But it was sustained. But the the way that I chose to look at it at the end and the way that I thought that it did it smartly was Picard used testimony from each of the the participants like you would in an affidavit or in a testimony in a courtroom you're using these pieces to figure out what the truth is so he never said you know um he was worried about the rewards that he would reap from this he says well you were concerned about it and Riker were concerned about it therefore he must have mentioned it or it was apparent in the scenario so right. I like that they used the what they had to create you know uh beyond a shadow of a doubt Yeah, well, Picard does solve the puzzle in that interesting way that you mentioned. And in addition to piecing together pieces of all the testimony, he also finds common denominators between the testimony. But before that happens, should Mm -hmm. we talk about all the people who testify, quote unquote, whose memories are put on the stand? So, of course, there's Riker. (laughs) And Riker says, 
okay, I go down there and uh, he's been doing this research, getting money from the Federation and Starfleet to do it. And he says it's not ready yet. And don't bother me. I'm not who's why'd you come in early? And they're like, we were in the neighborhood as mm. they so often do. Then um, Riker gets shown to guest quarters by Mrs. A. Mrs. A is like, here's how the door closes. Whoop. This is right. Riker's version of events. And then uh, she comes on to him and he says, no, no, it's not right. Husband walks in. Oh, my God. Punch, fight. Riker's a really good fighter in this version. Mm. <laughs> Riker just and dodges then, really well. He put a cool yeah, yeah. dodge in Wait, there. Wait, he gets a trombone solo in this memory, yeah. too? Where did that <laughs> Weird. <come from>? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes to a jazz club. Um, <laughs> then, then we hear that from... Uh, is that when Mrs. A arrives? I think so. And this is when the episode well, gets completely. Well, oh. hold on. So also, <laughs> before we escape from Riker's perspective here, like we should, what what's being set up here is not just those series of events. Because honestly, the way you describe those series of events is largely the same, largely the same in each of them. It's also like everybody's attitude. Except for Riker very, punching good. Yeah, 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 for sure. But like I'm saying like everybody's attitude is also very different, right? Mm. This is a really interesting acting exercise for everybody because they're playing characters who are being represented from another character's perspective, right? Mm. And in, in that case, it's partially untrue. So that's like three layers of character choices you have to make, right? Yeah. So so she, when she first came in in Riker's version of the scene, I almost wrote down, I actually did write this down, she did it. Because her attitude was like very cold and like kind of manipulative and like a little bit brushing people off, right? And then Agreed. it completely changes in the other testimonies. And uh, you start to see that on Riker's the same way. He's obviously a real creep in the second one. And so that's where we're establishing not just the series of events, but the perspective of those events. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, in, in her version, she's an angel. And instead <laughs> of when they go for a drink to sort of settle things and discuss um, the assistance of the Federation on this research, she takes Riker's arm in his version and she takes her husband's arm in, in her version. And uh, little nuances like that. But then the way that it gets really fucked up is that she says he attempted to rape her and is like ripping her clothes off when her husband comes in. And of course, Riker says he didn't do that. But then our knowledge of how many times uh, men get off in court trials have just because they were like, well, I didn't do that. So there and women are like, cool, I'm psychologically scarred and having to relive this whole thing. They never investigate if she is lying, which supposedly, I mean, honestly, that's not even resolved at the end, whose yeah. version of events of him yeah. being rapey was true. Um, we've seen many scenes with Riker coming on to women and he's never that aggressive. Mm -hmm. So of course we assume it's a lie, but then the show in its writer's room, Melinda Snodgrass, please speak up because uh, <laughs> like, why, why is this or okay? I do, but then that's the fucked up part. That's the thing is I don't think she's lying about it, right? I don't, what I think, what I, I'm guessing here, because you're right, we don't really resolve this in, a, in right. a lot of ways because we're. I think what the writers were aiming for is like everybody has a real warped perspective, period, okay? But they took her perspective and included another crime, which we should be addressing. That's yeah. what right. no one that's else is including. Right, that's its own trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a whole other trial we need to address, right? But um, where, where I think the writers are trying to establish is like, oh, well, evidence is always going to be – trumping all of these 
testimonies, and that's what they get to by the end, right? But we're ignoring a huge part of her testimony, which is not just a warped perspective, but an accusation of another crime. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. Troy does speak to this. Right. Sorry, Xander. Uh, no, that's exactly what I was going to say, that this is a very excellent point. And, and just that Troy s- speaking up and saying she believes that this is the truth, it's, it speaks doubly to your point, Becca, that even though it may not look like something is happening, she psychologically has gone through something, and that is, like, affecting Valid. her. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So can we just see this other trial, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I just feel bad that I know on paper I need to take this woman's complaint as valid, because, especially because she believes it, according to Troy. This is right. not, she's not lying to make herself look better, feel better that now that her husband is dead, this is what she believes. Which we can all convince ourselves that uh, a warped memory is our version of the truth because we want to justify our actions that weren't necessarily justifiable in the moment but as we think about it later we're like no 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 no. i had a reason and i'm going to justify it later so that i can you know not have that cognitive dissidence of doing something that i believe was wrong Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and so many of us do that subconsciously and unconsciously right it's like we just don't know that we're changing our memories there's uh, a lot of um psychological experiments about this too of um, eyewitness testimony of uh what's the really famous one that you learn about in psychology class where a bunch of witnesses see a car wreck and they see the footage of it, and then a month later they um, are asked questions about it, and they ask about, like, was the broken glass from the car on the inside of the car or the outside of the car? And a bunch of people respond, but it turns oh. out there was no broken glass. And so they all had convinced themselves just by the framing of the question, which is also another psychological phenomenon of framing, mm-hmm. that, like, they had believed something they hadn't seen. And then when asked even after that of, like, are you sure? They're like, yeah, I 100% remember the glass being there. Yeah, whatever your first instinct was, you double down. It's just a natural right. human thing. Right, because we're so we're pattern seekers and we're also we're really good at confirmation bias. So mm-hmm. that's what this episode mm-hmm. starts to lay out is like <laughs> once you hear a thing, you believe it. And it's m- even more in the case of the assistant who wasn't even in the scene but had heard the story but had been so convinced by it, she had been able to recreate <laughs> quite a quite a um encounter. Yeah. Well, and she had a positive feeling Uh, felt positively towards the doctor doctor. and Mrs. Apgar. So, of course, she would take their side in things and remember things with them in a positive light, especially when one of them died. Which is is why I guess I didn't, I don't know, I felt this was a little boring because it kind of felt like we were going through the motions. Like, once we started getting through each of these testimonies, I was like, okay, we're just going to keep seeing warped versions of reality until someone figures something out. This this whole thing feels very dinner theater. Like this is something <laughs> yeah. that I would go to, and like we would be at the table. And I bet a, a writer or a producer did this. They went to a show in Burbank, and then they're like, <laughs> "We're gonna do a murder mystery, and we'll reenact these different scenarios. Who's telling the truth?" Um, but you know, the uh, the some of the choices were were a little bit strange too. Like uh, I noticed that they didn't use the same takes of some things for replaying the same memories. Oh, did. Did they? Oh, I missed that. And a lot of it had to do with the actor (laughs) that was playing Dr. Apgar. He would make these bizarre choices. He would cut people off, say like, no, over over lines, like uh, especially the assistant and stuff. And it was supposed to be like a recreation. Um, But he had this strange pacing that really threw me off. And that's what made it stick out to being in different cuts wow i kind of wanted tana to have done it and to have killed her boss because he was a shitty boss 
I was wondering about her because, like, in murder mysteries, it's always the like, or not always, but like, the quiet assistant is still very present in this story, yeah. right? Yeah, the butler. Thank you. Um, yeah. Did you, either of you recognize our doctor, um, played by actor Mark Margolis? No. Really? No. Uh, he's uh, Hector Salamanca from Breaking Bad. <gasps> no. Yeah, Dio Hector. Mm. No. You see Breaking Bad? Santa? Yes, but I don't remember that. The oh, old in the wheelchair. man in the wheelchair with the bell. Ah, Emmy award-winning actor, I believe, or maybe nominated. I don't know. Well, there were some choices with this character. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he. I. He did seem a little like. Yeah, he was brash, but also I was like, that's the character. But now that you say that about having different takes because of how he cut him, like, yeah, I believe yeah, that. For it sure. was just weird. It took me out of it. <laughs> that took me out of it and also the the choice to have the stuntman facing the camera every time he took a punch and it's clearly yeah. not him oh yeah. one of those eh but also we're watching it i think in a higher resolution than it I was know, intended but, <laughs> but still don't okay. have him face the camera yeah hey how come jordy didn't get a memory because he was there for these events i wrote down i was like laforge is like i was also there <laughs> But yeah. like, where he left early, or what was his? He deal? was like fiddling around was in he, engineering, I guess. Okay, like his yeah. whole memory was staring at a computer screen. Yeah. Yeah. No, but he would have heard about these things. He spent the night. He beamed back slightly before Riker because Riker had to go chat one more time with the doctor. What was weird is that they made a point to to signal out that Riker said she propositioned they stay the night. Then she said he propositioned they yeah. stay the night. Mm-hmm. And Jordy could have been that deciding factor of like, hey, Jordy, who said you were staying That's over? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. No one asked him. Yeah, exactly. And what did Riker say to Jordy that night? Because I'm sure they talked. Yeah. I think I think they're just so obsessed with like let's play the holodeck recreation game. Yeah, as I think that's what it was. And from a technical perspective, it's very impressive. Honestly, I would have loved if Jordy was like, "Let me tell you what happened." They were like, "No, no, 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 no. in the holodeck, no program it, program it, program." But let me just tell. I can just tell you what. No, we want to hear from the assistant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've got this really hot doctor hologram that I hang out with sometimes. Jordy, no, leave her out of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but in my memory, she was she on was my arm. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, can we talk about how when the space station exploded, there was only one person on it, the doctor, uh-huh. because his wife and assistant had beamed down. Why is there an entire space station with only three people on it? Because of the Krieger waves. The Krieger waves. Mm, it's a small little. It's a small little, little baby space. Okay. Probably okay. Plot. Just checking. <laughs> I don't know how big a space station is, That's and they true. were right above a planet that had some essential component for the Krieger wave generation. Hmm. Should we talk about the sciency, the scienciness of what was happening with the Krieger waves and how that helped solve the problem? So the B plot yeah. was that something was happening on the Enterprise. It was getting little burns in random places, but it was always at the same interval of time, which Wesley and Data were able to figure out. Because uh, Wesley's like this Riker fanboy that's like, we're going to save you, Riker. You did nothing wrong ever. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just like, doesn't every rape trial have one of these? Ooh. Also, never mind. That's not even on trial. No one cares no. about that. Oh, but geez. they should in this <laughs> equitable future. <sighs> oh, well, Hashtag believe well, all women. 
Absolutely. The thing is, Becca, is like, so what happens in real life trials now is like, what what do we do is uh, we take testimony from people. We have to have evidence. Right. And that's unfortunately the same conundrum that's happening in this story is like no one can make a decision until evidence is presented. But that's the that's the issue with with sexual assault. There is not evidence in a lot of cases. It really is just testimony. And there isn't a solution for that right now. And I don't know what that solution is, but like, I, I feel like they treaded into a territory that we are like all very alarmed by when they were just trying to play this detective game. Right. It, it is disturbing. Also unnecessary to a point. You yeah. Know I mean? Yeah. They didn't need to turn it up that much to yeah. say that he was being seductive. They could have written her version of events that they were both very into it and they both made moves. Right. Because her husband's dead, and so why does she need to... Who's she hiding this from? But her perspective is that she's like the model wife, though, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's why she was so supportive of him in the very beginning of the testimony. We don't need to have monogamy as the standard. Like, there's a whole uh, bunch yeah. of different ways it could have gone I, as an I alien culture. <laughs> if I were a writer, I would have had it be like, no, what are you doing? Oh, of course I'm attracted to you too, but we can't. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, make it more comfortable instead of an assault. I, yeah, 100%. yeah, let's make yeah, it not a, a full yeah. on assault where yeah. obviously, um, Frakes felt uncomfortable because mm. he's doing that, like, I am a robot, this is my movement, I am told to do this blocking. And he was like physically, like, holding her still as she's struggling, and he's like, Don't move, mm. woman. It's so awkward mm -hmm. because I think. That's not how he likes uh, he was portraying that this is um, someone else's interpretation of him, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. But also maybe there was a layer of like, of course, I know this is not a way Riker would behave. Therefore, I'm going to like make it a less believable of a performance. I think you're right, Becca. Yeah. I think they're like, let's go so far that it's an absurd testimony. And right. we couldn't believe that he is this monster. I think that's exactly right. And now it came <laughs> off wrong, though. It's just solidifying that that's okay. Well, well, it's not that it's okay. It's that well, it's that the solidifying women lie. <laughs> well, worse that they're telling the truth, but that tr truth isn't reality. Right. Which I think yeah. is worse than lying in some ways, right? Is the that she lighting. is being honest. Yeah, women are delusional. <laughs> but they're painting her, her as a war having a warped perspective and like dismissing that, and that's that I think is worse than lying in this case. What's funny too is that now we take for granted like that we're in front of green screens and how quickly technology can do this. But at the time, they would have had to spend a lot of money and uh, energy to have the scene where Riker walks in on like himself to show off that green screen. And I wonder if that was even to emphasize like, here is good Riker, here is evil Riker, but this one is just a hologram, you know what I mean? Like they wanted to distinctly show. Which is, which is why like, and you even described it in this way, Becca, of like the guy getting up and saying, I didn't do that, which is definitely the perspective I had for it too. But then in 1990 or whenever they made this, they tried to stop the scene for Riker and for him to go up there and like propose that he is a better man than this and like it has a heroic perspective but like it's crazy what 20 years 30 years i guess now does this uh, it, it was i still didn't like the episode even if they didn't tread into this dangerous territory but like i suppose i see what they were trying to do but i've also yeah. said that too many times in this podcast of like i see what they were trying to do yeah. right well before before we say final thoughts i just want to recap the end of the episode which was pike uh 
Picard taking into account the fact that everyone had said uh, that the doctor said his science wasn't ready yet, the experiment, the research still needed more time, but the cold hard facts that actually um, because of the holodeck technology and because we recreated everything that was on the space station and using whatever signals or power is coming up from the planet, now we can, ple- we can recreate. And he said he didn't have Krieger waves, but he does. The Krieger waves exist. All of the technology was working. Why isn't he telling us? Because he told his wife, I'm going to make a lot of money off this. I'm going to whisk you away. You're going to be so happy. And then, uh, and then Troy gets this line for some reason that, well, we wanted to use this as a power source. And everyone knows power sources are cheap, but weapon sources are expensive. So we wanted to reuse this to create weapons. And that's why he needed the extra diflucilium, obviously. Mm -hmm. But this is like a weird amount of diflucilium to be bringing in. So uh, uh, he keeps defending it in many people's reenactments of like, well, we we need all the extra diflucilium, which... um, and Riker's like, okay, (laughs) what? Um, So all of those accounts show that objectively he was hiding something uh, and wanted to do something else with the Krieger waves that had increased diflucilium. Stop me if I'm going too fast here. This is great. (laughs) No, wow, you did your homework. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a giant whiteboard just off to the side we can't yeah, yeah. see with a bunch of diagrams? I think this graphs? stuff is interesting. Yeah. I like I like this episode a lot. I love that you remember all this too. Or well, I mean, yeah. obviously you wrote some of it down, but like I love that I wrote you're recalling down. Well, because honestly, we're so trapped up in the intricacies of what they're doing. It They do give this justification and it does start to explain his motive, right? Right. And one mm-hmm. of the pieces of evidence that really pointed towards Riker was the fact that as he was being tel- transported out, there was what looks like a phaser or some sort of power that uh, shoots back, blows up the space station because it hits this like center of this core, this reactor. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what Picard figures out and puzzles at was that, or, you know, using some speculation was like, uh uh-uh, the doctor was pissed, didn't want Riker to find out and tell Starfleet that he was trying to develop weapons technology. And so he decides Riker needs to die. He was trying to orchestrate at a specific moment that a a bolt of energy was going to kill Riker right as he was being transported. But because, as Jordy explains, uh, dude dude is a really good scientist, but, like, not that good a scientist and (laughs) messed this up. And he didn't know uh, about teleportation beams or transporter beams Mm -hmm. and didn't realize it would just bounce off the teleporter beam and go back. And that's what blew up the starbase case closed but i guess we still don't know if Riker is an attempted rapist yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry sometimes i talk a lot no it was great yeah picard gets his parlor moment of explain and geordie together it's a very sherlock and watson moment uh and they puzzle out what actually happened this is the truth i guess and we get the connection to the B plot, right? Because what's been happening on the Enterprise is the waves, but they're not being modified by the device anymore. Is that right? Yeah. So the weird sciencey way that they explained it was that the holodeck recreated this machine with such accuracy that the latent waves that were emanating from the planet coming up to the space station were actually hitting the Enterprise, going into the holodeck recreated device, and it was spitting out many versions of the Krieger wave, which was those burn marks that we kept seeing all over the place. Very impressive holodeck technology. Yeah. It is not an empty box that looks like a desk. It is a real desk. <laughs> Those yeah. safety protocols need an update. Yeah, they sure do. 
I, I mean, I also pushed my glasses further up the bridge of my nose when I heard this justification. But, like, they also, like, tried to keep going because somebody said, I think it was Riker, who said, like, but the holodeck can't recreate energy or like it can't what is it what did he say he's like it can't make those kind of things right yeah and jordy justifies it by saying well it's actually not a device it's a series of lenses at yeah the, at the it's core, right? mirrors yeah yeah mirrors and lenses right so it's, yeah all it is what is, is the recreating... holodeck if not smoke and mirrors yeah right? and that's exactly well said becca that's yeah. exactly what it is it's smoke and mirrors so it is the device when you that... push your glasses up the bridge of your nose did you say um actually I said, uh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Okay, just checking because yeah, that but, would be a copywritten name. That's also the name of a board game and right. also a show it and is, drop out. Don't worry about it. It's copywritten. It's they've taken um actually from us. Wow. No, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you came in with some authority there. Yeah, that's all you need. Well, I just wanted to give a little spoiler, a little yeah, a little Easter egg. Well, because that Easter egg. if you were gonna go even deeper into the pseudoscience of it, technically they aren't mirrors and lenses. Technically, they're photorealistic holograms of lenses, and therefore you could manipulate <laughs> them to behave in any way that you would need them to. Does the light that comes from a lamp made in a holodeck come from Refract. the lamp or does it come from the holodeck? It comes from the holodeck. Right. Right. Because even the lamp light would be photons that are recreated to create the atmosphere. Okay, this is why holodecks don't make sense because how could you project you'd need like a a, a light bright plug in in every point of being uh, yeah. in the holodeck, but then you wouldn't be able to physically walk through it. That's a great observation, Becca, and that's why you can see the vertices when the holodeck is off. Those points seem to be like the emitter points exactly where you're talking about so that it can create a uh, photonic light environment that you're not to- totally moving through. It's moving around you in a simulation like VR. Your technobabble is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just... Un- beyond compare, I yeah. believe you're on a starship right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe you. you said photon in a very um, practical way. I mean, a holodeck just is a series of light brights. You are right. Yeah. <laughs> We're all just a series of light brights. <laughs> <gasps> it's all just a matter of perspective. <laughs> nice. Well, that was a great episode. It was fine. It wasn't. I didn't like it. Um, Hashtag ignore all women, I guess. <laughs> It was like we we've talked about this before of Star Trek dipping into different genres of like TV or or whatever, and this felt very much like they're going to do a classic uh, detective episode. Yeah. And if they had set this in like the twenties, the forties, whenever, like it also would still not be great. But you wouldn't need to change a whole lot for it to make sense. <laughs> yeah. They just did that without trench coats. Yeah. To me, it just didn't feel that interesting of a tale. And, like, they tried to make yeah. it – they tried to have a B perspective, a B plot that was threatening the Enterprise, so we felt some sense of danger beyond the mm-hmm. fact that we were trying to investigate someone's murder. But even that was just, like, a few scenes of, like, oh, we got to mm-hmm. solve this. And, like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oops. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a little – last time I went for a hike with David, we were talking about how we wanted to write something, how you tell the same story from different perspectives, mm-hmm. which a lot of TV has done. And then we watched this. Um, so oh. I really liked oh. the potential of this episode. That's I'm just it. so disturbed by Manua, uh, Manua's rape allegations being just like, uh, okay, don't worry about it. Yeah. It's fine. Riker's a good guy. Yeah, that definitely like just kind of takes away from everything they were trying to do because it, yeah. it just draws our attention in such a disturbing way. 
But it's so funny that 30 years later, this is a glaring oversight of not okay. Mm. I mean, at the end of my notes, I was like, oh, okay, it's the end of the episode and everything's wrapped up. What the fuck? Not okay. Not okay. Fuck. Mm. (laughs) Because I had this feeling of like, wait a minute, I've just been gaslit. But it's not that they were trying to do that. They just didn't realize they were doing that. Perpetuating Mm -hmm. the problem. Mm Mm-hmm. This uh, episode, I believe, was also slightly inspired by, was it Rashomon? Uh, yes, Rashomon, the Japanese oh. film. Yeah. Do you, do you know it, Xander? I mean, I've heard of it, but I'm not, I didn't look up. This actually would be really great for exactly what you're talking about, Becca, because it's, I think it's a story of like a murder that happens in a forest. I, I saw like scenes from it a long time ago. I haven't watched it, but yeah. It, it's another like closed room murder. Right. It's the testimonies of a bunch of people. I think there's a sexual assault in it too now that I think about yeah. it. But uh, it's all about they tell the story somewhat identically but with like some variation which is supposed to kind of show their perspective, right? There was also this fantastic movie. Um, it was the guy from Rocky Horror. Uh, he was playing something. And then um, they all had colors in their names. Like they were you know, caricatures <laughs> of people. But someone died. Uh, there was a body. Uh, and then, you know, I think it ended like three different ways. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm just scanning the memory alpha. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that worked on this episode hated this episode and mm-hmm. wanted to pull it out of the mix for a potential Emmy and didn't said it was like really tough to shoot, really tough to break. But I don't see any comments collected here about the, you know, allegations of sexual misconduct angle. But maybe that's part of what made people uncomfortable and they just didn't have the language to put their finger on it yet. But they said that they've said that about previous episodes about like some weird choices that were made that they were uncomfortable with. So I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned here. Like everything in memory alpha here is mentioning about the technical aspects of shooting this for the mm. most part. Um, right. Yeah. I, I saw that Becca. I was like, well, if no one's going to add anything about this, we should talk about it. Well, yeah. because it is a very technically ambitious yes. project. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't it have been up for like visual effects Emmys with uh, how many things? I do think it's technically impressive. Yes. Very yeah, impressive, yeah. actually, um, but not good enough to save it from that weird plot hole. Speaking of plot holes, <laughs> next week we've got a plot hole in space because it's yesterday's Enterprise, an episode I'm very excited to revisit. Um, the synopsis uh-huh. is, while investigating a temporal rift, the Enterprise encounters a ghost, the USS Enterprise C. <gasps> Wait, they are the C. No, they're D. We're D. What the? What? We gotta get over there. Warp speed. Engage! Engage!